Welcome to the Sales Compensation Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. So put that spreadsheet away, grab a beverage, and enjoy the conversation. I'm your host, Justin Lane. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome to the show today, Samantha Joswick. Samantha is the Manager of Sales Analytics and Sales Compensation at Intermedia Cloud Communications. Samantha, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about your current role, your background, and maybe even a little bit about what Intermedia Cloud Communications does? Yeah, for sure. So... What I my current role right now is I manage analytics and compensation. So what that is really is at my role is really developing the strategy on one side, which is not what we'll necessarily get into today, but that's what we report on, how we report on it, and most importantly, how we talk about it. And then I've got my team that helps execute it, helps manage the day-to-day functions of that. And then on the other side, which is what we'll dive into today, is compensation strategy. And that was really why I was brought onto Intermedia to begin with, because they wanted to totally revamp and rewrite their whole compensation strategy, which I started in October of last year. So (laughs) three months coming in hot to do it. So I developed that strategy. And then I've got analysts on that side of the house as well that help, you know, with the day-to-day activities, executing it, and exactly developing the reporting. And I work very closely with them on almost a daily basis. <laughs> if it's a good day, maybe we won't talk, but yeah. <laughs> kind of my role there. And then career, in terms of background from that, I came from Adobe. And so I started working for Adobe right out of college, did my master's degree at the same time, which... I don't know, enterprise tech and school at the same time was quite a lot. Um, Did sales operations there. And through that role, just really getting to know my sales teams, got a really hands-on feel of where some of our compensation friction points were that in an enterprise business that large, it's hard for one team who doesn't work with the sales teams every day to identify all of those kind of nitty gritty, especially across such a large product set. And so that's really how I ultimately got into compensation at Adobe on their go-to-market strategy team and kind of helping with that. And then it rolled into that, wow, I really love this. And this is something I want to do and jumped on board with Intermedia, which leads me into Intermedia, which is a one of the, the number one cloud communications company. So basically, in the simplest terms, what Intermedia sells is work anywhere from wherever. Okay. All right. So... In your variety of roles in sales operations with the sales compensation strategy, how did you come up to speed? How did you become good at what you do when it comes to sales compensation? Beats me. (laughs) But I think that in all seriousness, I really, it just, it clicked. But I think for me, even on a daily basis, I still feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. But it turns out, a lot of people feel that way about a lot of things. And so I just have a really big appetite to learn. So I'm constantly looking things up and it just really, really fascinates me. And then I think the core part is just really loving data, but also really loving that intersection with people. It's where the rubber meets the road for me um, and just very engaging. And so just that passion for data and people constantly 
will keep me up to speed and keep me going for how do we improve it? How do we make it better? Okay. We're going to dig into this a little bit more because I think that a lot of the folks I talk to, you know, they have a, uh, either they had a mentor at a company, maybe they worked at a sales effectiveness consulting firm and, you know, and learned from some of the management consultants in the space. But this idea that you're approaching it almost from the outside and saying, hey, I'm going to learn maybe from some Google searches, but from digging into the data and trying to understand, you know, the humanistic, the people perspective of the sales reps, I find that really interesting. And so let's talk about the data first. When you, let's say an intermediate, you get there in October, what kind of analysis do you do to to start to unpack what's working, what's not working in the sales compensation plans to try to start to think about what to keep, what to change, what kind of recommendations to, to try to push through? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and luckily for me, it seemed pretty kind of obvious coming in and then I'll get into the data, but I came in and I had a really clear objective. They wanted to grow our cloud communications business substantially. And then uh, we've got an on-prem business. It's really based around Office 365 that it's a great business. It helps support our bottom line, but it's not where we really want to grow. It's not where we see the future of work and cloud communications. And so that was my clear objective coming in is how do we grow this? The other part that was really obvious to me of where I'm going to dig in is that at that point in time, like our main plan, you you always have your overlay plans, et cetera, but our main sales plan did not differentiate for products other than maybe like an accelerator at the end. It, It really did not dive into it. So from there, I really just dug into... I created a model. I'm very into plug and play models. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you ever talk to anyone that I work with, you can say, I always have very easy, very uh, sales leadership oriented plug and play models where it's clearly highlighted where they can plug in different numbers. But what I took was last year's plans and our financial plan going towards growth. And I just figured out the different levers that I could pull to say, so now we have you know, a plan that's based on both of our products and it's, you hit different leverages. And if you are not hitting your cloud, your cloud goals, you're really not getting anything. So it's really all centered around that cloud selling motion and what kind of different measurements can I put in there to play with it. And another really great thing for me that I had outlined is from our directly from our CEO, which I think is incredible. He's like, I want them to be making substantially more than they were in 2021 if they are selling cloud. And so again, it was really pretty easy for me because I had all these clear goals. It was just figuring out what was the right mix of the data to get us there and ensure that if you were selling as we want you to, and you're doing exactly what we asked you to do, you'll be making substantially more. And what's even more incredible to me, and I never thought that I would hear a CEO say this, and I think it's very invigorating for our reps, I always had a cap on the plan, right? Okay. He actually asked for it to be removed on the cloud side. (laughs) On our on-prem side, there is still a cap, but on the cloud side, there's no cap. Our sellers have endless potential to make money and help intermediate driver growth objectives. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, it sounds like you had a lot of things in place uh, to lead to success. One, I think the support, you know, from the C level, certainly important. Two, the idea of a clear understanding of the strategic goals of the company that you were trying to align the plans with, and then it sounded like you did the data analysis. 
simplified uh, the plan or created focus of the plan by putting dollars uh, towards one product uh, versus another. And then I love the idea of no caps. I think the, I don't think there's a sales rep I've ever met in my career that raised their hand and said, please limit my earnings potential in some way, shape or form. Uh, so yeah, I think you, you pulled had a lot of good levers to pull there. What was the response when you rolled? Did you roll it out? At the beginning of the year by SKO, what was the, what did that look like? I was about to say sales kickoff is probably the best sales kickoff I've ever been to. Yeah. <laughs> so our uh, our CRO, who's that's who I roll up under, is uh, our revenue officer. He got up on stage and announced and kind of rolled out this comp plan, right, to his sales teams, and just everyone's face around the room, like kind of like looking at each other when he said no caps, was just. I will never forget that. It was so fun. Yeah, a priceless moment, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, on another episode of this season's podcast, I, I talked to a consultant uh, who's been designing sales compensation plans for a number of years. And she describes a moment where the sales force, you know, a number of people broke out into tears. And my comment was, tears of joy? And the answer was, no, definitely not, type of things. So it's great to hear you know, the positive stories around sales compensation of where when you do things, you know, where the, the reps clearly can see a path uh, to earning more money, you know, it goes well. I think when they, when there's some confusion or the communication is not done well, or they don't understand, and they feel like maybe that their earnings potentials have been limited in this year is where it doesn't go quite as well. Yeah. Well, and I think the key part to that is just data-driven and I mean, in everything I do, if there's any, you know, exceptions that come my way, whatever, I think that's also why I'm good at this role is mm -hmm. there's always the human element to it, but let's start with the data first. And so it's that clear communication that's backed by data of here are the facts. Here would be my recommendation based on the facts. Now let's add in the human component. Does that change at all? Or is there something oftentimes where I would go and where I would make the recommendation is that if there is something based on the human component that we need to do for this individual, it belongs outside of sales compensation. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So let's talk about that human component for a second. And I think that in my experience, you know, people try to get that experience in, in a variety of different ways, uh, whether it's through direct feedback from the reps through a survey, or maybe trying, you know, to get that feedback as a proxy from the sales managers and on you know the far end of the spectrum people going on sales calls or listening to you know some sales meetings to get a feel for what the sales reps do you know and then trying to to figure out you know where do they have control or prominence over that sale what did you do to get the the perspective of the rep or to make sure you understood the the human component of of the what I always call the math problem that you're trying to solve Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think the number one thing that feeds into everything else, and this goes for my current role and for my previous roles, is the sales VPs that I've supported. Have I've always had a great relationship with them, and it's always someone that they can come to me. I go to them at any point in time, and they are not only a partner, an ally, but most importantly, a resource. And just really setting that up, as in when I reach out, there are in sales compensation, let's be honest, there are different areas of compensation where there is a conflict there, right? And they don't get along. And I think what I spent my initial time in this role and in my old role was, I am your friend. When I'm doing things, it is for the benefit of the business. And I'm truly curious when I'm reaching out and asking you. So I think it's that curiosity and partnership with those sales leaders. And then really 
through that, they just propel me down different paths. I mean, in my role at Adobe, just got really involved with our solution consultants, especially uh, supporting our product specialists. We rolled out our new a new product, first product that Adobe rolled out, and I think about 20 years that wasn't an acquisition. Okay. So being part of that was really interesting. So that's why they had me involved with their solution consultant. So I could really get that on the street feedback. So yes, I would join sales calls again as I can. I do the same thing at Intermedia. Luckily, it's a little bit smaller, a little bit easier to get that information without having to sit in on those different calls. But again, it just gets back to that partnership with sales leadership and really having uh, an ally there. I think when you're trying to make when you're in plan design season, which we're we're in currently, right? You came in last year to Intermedia, October timeframe. Clear mission of some things you wanted to change, some data points to kind of prove out the ideas that you had. With sales compensation, though, on the design, the planning side, there's typically other business partners involved. Uh, you have to work with finance, probably have to work with HR at a minimum. Maybe some other folks are, are involved. You talked about how you built that collaboration and relationship with the sales managers. What did you do to your counterparts or peers in these other organizations? Yeah, I came in and I just, I set up structure. It gets back to, it's, it's the same reason why we go back to data. It's because data is structure. I set up a structure of reoccurring meetings. So, you know, working with legal in terms of rewriting entirely new comp plans. It's a whole thing in its own. To reoccurring meetings with HR. This is after my around the world from all of them and the sales leaders to try and get that qualitative data aspect as I'm planning it out. So just really setting up after that, setting up a structure of those reoccurring invites. And then every couple of weeks, just because there's such big changes, we had our, you know, our CFO, our CRO, our executive leadership, and then, you know, our head sales leadership different areas of the organization on. And I think just being really organized in that communication and having everyone on a set schedule. I'm very, very diligent about keeping things in a presentation mode. I'll credit that to my time at Adobe that put it on a slide, get the conversation driven, pointed, and focused because we had a tight timeline, right? And so I just think to answer your question in the most succinct way I can, it's just that structure of communication and reoccurring communication. Got it. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think one of the struggles I see at companies as I help them on the plan design side from a consultative standpoint is the variety of different decision-making cultures that I run into. And I think where it's most difficult is where people have to find everybody coming to the same decision. And that leads to a lot of compromise. You know, which I always think is interesting, where maybe you don't end up with the the best ideas, you end up with the safest ideas. But how would you describe the decision making culture there at Intermedia? And I don't say this lightly because uh, I can definitely be a pessimist in my personal life, but I think that just the culture of overall Intermedia feeds into their decision making. It is an unbelievably friendly and collaborative culture that everyone loves working at Intermedia. And that also extends into wanting Intermedia to grow and be successful. And so if there is a conflict, it's we're not going for the safe bet, we're going for the best bet. And therefore, they go back to the data. So I really, really appreciate that about this organization, for sure. Yeah, that sounds nice. So you rolled out the plans to wild acclaim. The sales reps liked it. What type of metrics did you put in place to say, 
is it working? It sound in my top off top of my head, were you looking at product mix or growth in the cloud product uh, area to see like the the changes that you made, were they having the impact that you wanted? Yeah, for sure. I actually just pulled uh, some of these up. So pardon me, I'm taking a look at them. So uh, just looking at year to date of our growth, we're up 20% in our overall business, right? And then when you look at specifically our cloud communications, we have a year-over-year growth of 28% right now. That is above what we were projecting, which I think is one metric in its own. It's just is the growth, but that can't just only be attributed to compensation, right? We've got incredible product teams that are working on continually making our product ever better, amazing sales teams, yada, so on and so forth. There's a lot that goes into it. But something on top of that that I definitely will toot the horn of sales compensation is as we went into this year, figuring out those levers, while the comp plan overall is the same across anyone that is any of our like account executives, right? They all have the same through their leadership. But what's different is where exactly those triggers hit, at what point the threshold is. And so one of the teams that we have that was really 50-50, most of the other teams were about 90-10, 80-20 of our cloud product and our on-prem. This team is really a 50-50 split. And so leadership, I guess I would say we, at the time, I didn't have you know quite enough knowledge. I could see the data. Made me a little bit nervous about how this team would handle that shift. And I think this speaks volumes to the comp plan itself that year to date, that team is at 55% growth in their cloud product. And they've shifted to a 70-30 split at this point. And they did it almost immediately in Q1. So that's just a metric to, to my own horn. But if I'm just looking overall at comp plans, one of my most interesting metrics that I like to look at that I don't find a lot of people do is pulling out, okay, what are the different variables or triggers in your comp plan, right? That can be a a bunch of different things, right? Whether it's accelerators or whatnot, put those out and then do an analysis of how many times are those hit. Maybe I'll go by team, right? Break it down even further, but just at the high level summary, how many times are those being hit? How many times are they not? You can also add in an interesting layer of in those months, did we hit our growth goals as a company, right? Mm -hmm then it really tells me of what's our quota setting process, our quota set right, is the plan right, have I made something that's unachievable or have I made something that's too achievable? And it really kind of highlights if there's any weaknesses. Definitely really proud of this plan because year to date really haven't found anything. But I do think that that specific analysis has been really telling for me. That's interesting. In my mind, I'm trying to think like how I would present that in a visual format, what does that graph or chart uh, look like? Usually kind of like a, I do like a matrix with like a heat map over it, right? Uh, okay. It really draws the eyes to where the different weaknesses might be. Yeah. For, okay. So for us, it tends to stay in the greens and yellows, haven't really hit any red spots. So that's good. <laughs> All right. You mentioned quotas. Were you part of the quota setting process as well? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. With quotas, you know, I think that what we typically run into is people fall into, you know, there's two kind of dimensions and they fall on one side or the other with it. One on kind of the quota setting methodology. Most companies, top-down quota setting methodology, finance has a number, up to sales to, to divvy it up amongst, you know, the, the different reps. Other companies will do top-down and then have some bottom-up input 
from the reps or the managers to say, you know, is there a gap in what the corporate number is and what the field force believes that they can bring in? So we have that dimension. On the other side, what I'll see is people will either set the same quota for every seller in the same in the role, you know, peanut butter spread. If if an account executive, everybody has a million dollar quota as an example for the year, or people get individualized quotas in some fashion. Where do you fall on these these different kind of parameters of quota setting? And then I'll follow up with depending on your answer. <laughs> well, I definitely I have to give a quick shout out and then I'll give my personal is that our CRO really leads this, right? Can't do anything without that leadership support. And mm-hmm. so he very much listens, collaborates, and again, speaks to that collaborative environment of what's on the street and then communicating that back to finance and leading that charge of how do we resolve this gap? And so that goes into my preferred approach, which would be start with the top down, bottom up, meet in the middle. Once you meet in the middle, then I don't, I don't believe in uh, peanut butter spread quotas. I believe in individualized. And I have to caveat that with, I've seen a lot of different areas of businesses I've been a part of that individualize it based on the actual individual. What I mean when I say individualize it, I mean, what is that? What is the sales addressable market for that person? Given their go-to-market strategy of the team that they're on, then that is the individualization that I'm talking about of rolling down that agreed upon top-down, bottom-up target. I think you just went through what I would consider a lot of best practices. You know, the idea of (laughs) top-down, bottom-up, there's almost always a gap. And then kind of how do you address that gap? Is it hire more folks, you know, uh, try to re-motivate people, give, you know, buy more leads, like there's something to do to address what, whatever the gap may be. But then that idea of, of passing out, you know, more individual quotas based upon market potential. With that, so I'm, so I'm, when you said that, I'm guessing you guys have territories of some sort, whether they're named accounts or geographies or some combination type of things. Is that true? Yeah, so we're a channel business. Um, and so we're really named to different partners, right? So there's our different tiers and segments of teams are aligned to certain partners, depending on their growth potential, et cetera. Um, and then from there, they're assigned to individual partners within the teams. Got it. Any, have you guys went through the exercise to optimize those territories based upon workload or earnings potential? Or you accept that the the territories are unequal and you make it fair by giving the different size quotas to folks. Yeah. And I'm actually a believer in, I guess, quote unquote, unfair territories. Okay. Uh, I, it's not quite the word to use for it, but you have different selling potentials on your team, right? And so you want to allocate your highest growth partners to where you think you're going to get the highest growth from sellers. And again, that goes back to data. It's not necessarily the individual it is what growth have we seen from these individuals? And then from there, kind of figure out how you're going to waterfall the partners. Um, when it comes to the account segmentation, this is definitely something I am personally very passionate about that I've been analyzing, that I've been speaking to my leadership about. I don't know if it's something that we're going to totally revamp this year. We just went through a huge change last year, so we might give it some breathing room, but Hopefully next year we'll be digging into that more. At this point in time, we're we're obviously getting great growth numbers. So what we're doing is working. I don't think there's going to be any big change in our territory selling model this year. 
Did you find the need throughout the year for any sort of spiffs or sales contests to fill any gaps that maybe didn't come up in the planning stage? I did not. <laughs> okay. Did you guys do any kind of spiffs or sales contests throughout the year? <laughs> we did. We did. We did one, I guess like one that was really like two and one. And, you know, it was, it was great. But often I think that, especially in an organization such as ours, that, you know, we're not small, but we're not huge. And so we really can have a lot of impact in our compensation plan. Spiffs end up being a lot of noise, at least from what I found. And so I just think while it was great, we saw some impact. I think overall, it doesn't overshadow the compensation plan. And I really am not a big proponent of doing things that take away from the compensation plan. If we need to go back and revise some structural components of the plan, then let's do that instead of dragging our reps in different directions. Yeah, no, I, I talk to people all the time that have, you know, on one side of that fence or the other from a philosophical standpoint of, you know, maybe they don't want to tweak the plan. And so they're trying to fill some gaps in the plan, you know, some unexpected things. Or like you said, people that will go back and say, if there's something we need to fix, you know, whether it's a, a threshold or a particular uh, measure or mechanic of how we're paying, let's do it within the plan, right? And not create an unnecessary distraction. I also think it's interesting when it comes to spiffs and sales contests. I've always been an advocate of they should be, you know, either budgeted or self-funding, but they can't just be give cash out to people, you know, with no return on your investment. Uh, that's not uh, a winning formula, in my opinion. No, not at all. Also not data-driven. All right. Anything that you feel like you're going to advocate to change next year, or is it stay the course and continue to refine quotas and, and accounts and segmentation? I think going into this next year, there'll be some components. I will be really focused on our MBOs. So of course, last year only had a short time frame, and I will toot our horn again that we did get all quotas and comp plans out by January 1st. So a little bit of a stretch. We didn't make any big changes to those kind of overlay MBOs. But this year, what I'm really doing is taking a really deep dive on those because understandably so. We didn't have the focus on it last year. They're not quite as aligned with the company's growth objectives as I would like them to be. And so whether or not we're going to make any huge substantial changes, still up in the air of any decisions, but that's my main focus this planning season is how do we make these better aligned to the company growth objectives while still making them role individualized, right? Having the sellers feel like they really have an impact on their commission. Yeah. So let me ask you a couple of data questions. You know, I think that most companies don't have a lack of data. Sometimes they have too much, right? They just don't know what to do with it. But I think what it, you know, I'll ask the first question and I think a second question here in a second. But the first question being, most companies I talk to when they're in this sales planning cycle around compensation, quotas, territories, more often than not, they're typically looking backwards to try to inform decisions. Do you have the ability or do you already currently have some way to look at, you mentioned market potential, but some forward-looking metrics, some available market data to be able to try to use the future as a decision-making input as well, as opposed to just relying upon historical data? Yeah, sorry, I smile because again, just getting out of uh, quarterly business reviews today, big focus of us is how do we look forward? Because historically, I mean, even to date, it's changing. We've looked back. 
but what I've done and kind of my other side of the house of how we, how we look at our data is this year, once we got all those comp plans out, once all the sellers understand it, they're out selling and I could shift my focus. I revamped all of our reporting, but really revamped the cadence at which we look at it and what we're looking at it, standardized it across the business. And in doing so, you drive people to want to make sure that their pipeline data is clean. So, you know, it's a multifaceted approach, right? Because companies don't have a lack of data, but how good is that data? So we really spent the last year driving this culture of accountability with our sales teams and their data. And I do feel, you know, there's always nuances to the data, but we've got really good pipeline data now. And so what I've been able to do, I've started training a model about around second half. The plan is, you know, we're using it for planning. The real plan is to start using it next year once it's been trained to look out, but it's taking into account what we've done plus what we've had in pipeline historically. What do we have in pipeline looking forward? Takes into account sales cycles, all of that and creates this outlook that will really help us to identify gaps. And in those gaps, is there something that we need to change structurally or does it go back to, is there something we can do via marketing or you know, et cetera. But then it drives the conversation by data and is allowing us to look out. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about two current themes that I'm hearing in the sales compensation design world. And the first one is around, you know, not just fairness in the plan, but, you know, DEI, equity, uh, diversity, inclusion. I think a lot of people's minds immediately go to the idea of, of hiring. But within the plan, when you're analyzing the data, do you take any any cuts of the data around different populations? I think a lot of folks I talk to will definitely look at, at tenure of the reps, but they don't think about or maybe even have the ability to from their data sets to to do deeper cuts to make sure that the that people have uh, you know an equal earning opportunity. I would say within my role, I do take into account rookies versus veteran mm-hmm. employees, right? That is one that I take out. I don't necessarily go any deeper than that, but we do have our HR team and our analyst team that takes those cuts and they'll look at it. Again, Intermedia, absolutely a great company. I have yet to hear anything from that team in any of the cuts that they've done of the data, but I, I personally don't go any deeper than tenure. Yeah. The second trend that, you know, is kind of matriculating through the design world right now is this idea that kind of it it comes up every few years you know the pendulum swings back and forth on it but the idea of paying people on inputs versus outputs so the idea of paying people more on activities versus performance when it comes to sales any thoughts or any any roles that maybe you think about more the activities that lead to success versus waiting for the success yeah i mean i will caveat this with i may change my point <laughs> as I get more and more well-versed in this because I am still a baby in the compensation world. But we talk about this a lot and I definitely am on the side of compensate on the outputs of what we're going towards because the inputs Mm -hmm. are inherent. That's the first step. If that is not working, then it's taking a deeper dive in of kind of what's going, you know, what's going wrong. In most cases, I'm still towards the side of paying for the outputs, but then it changes like how how are our sales teams actually operating here? What What is the issue? Because again, you take that data, it allows you to highlight what are the inputs that we're 
doing that are not yielding the outputs that we want? And what do we need to change there? Yeah. And I'll give you some some early opinion for myself. I think that there's not going to ever be a definitive right answer. I think it's going to depend a lot on individual company context and the sales culture that they've built, as well as the individual selling roles that they've created to create that go-to-market strategy. And you know, it's a tool in the toolkit to use as need, you know, when needed, as needed type of thing, as opposed to saying that one side of that argument is right or wrong. Though I've heard some pretty passionate uh, responses as to why one is better than the other, so I'm all, I'm interested in where people people stand. I all love right. the debate. <laughs> hey, so we're we're nearing the end of our time together, and I have kind of two closing questions I've been asking everybody. The first one is, if you could take anybody in the sales compensation world uh, out to lunch and pick their brain, who might that be? I'll say this: some people might not associate it with sales compensation, but it is. I think he is the most influential, at least even on what I do in sales compensation. That'd be Robert Caldini. He is the author of uh, Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. And I think that just his book is, if you haven't read it, and I have or not, listen to the, you yeah. should listen to the audio because he reads it. And it's just the scenarios that he uses because he goes undercover and goes into, you know, different stores like a tailor store and just like writes down how these sales people interact with him and then writes this entire book on the psychology of persuasion and it's it's really engaging and i just think that having a conversation with him would be over lunch would be extremely engaging i think i would learn so much yeah no i think it's great to hear somebody like you said maybe newer to the sales compensation world than some of the other folks that i talked to but you're not, to me, to some degree, burdened by some of the history of sales compensation, where I think that folks that have been doing it for two decades plus, uh, some of them are still stuck in this idea that it is a math problem to solve. They're trying to force fit, you know, target pay to budgets, to quotas, you know, type of thing. And they don't see or think about, you know, empathetic to the idea that there is a person on the other end of that sales compensation plan. And that we want to think about how are we motivating them? How are we communicating it to them? How are they responding to it? You know, type of thing. And uh, it's refreshing to hear somebody, you know, from the very beginning when you mentioned you wanted to bring that human element into the the design uh, aspect of it. I think that's that's fantastic. Last question. Maybe it's the same answer. If you can tell or maybe not tell, I enjoy reading books quite a bit. And so I asked people, you know, is there a book you could recommend, whether it's around sales compensation, sales management, or just a general book that you've enjoyed recently, anything that uh, you think folks should be reading? Yeah, for sure. I, definitely the initial answer is Robert Caldini, Psychology of Persuasion, hands down. All right. But I figured I'd go a little bit into that one on my last question. So I did grab a second book here because I don't know about you and maybe you have a list and I should look at it of different compensation books. I don't find that there's a lot of resources that aren't, as you just described, kind of a math equation or like a textbook. And I just don't think, again, I don't think that gets to the element of we're trying to incent people, people's behavior. You can't Mm -hmm. tell them what to do. You can incent them to drive towards company goals, right? And so my favorite compensation book and the most human element while also being very like, it still has that textbook element would be Game the Plan. 
And so if you haven't read it, I definitely would because it's really written from the perspective of you know sales reps and as humans inherently gaming yeah. the uh, outcomes, right? As yeah, we do. I, I certainly have a copy of the book. I think it has some of the better storytelling aspect of the, like you said, the sales compensation books in the space. What I found is from the sales compensation books, you can pick up some of the, what I'll call the body of knowledge, kind of the, the, the technical aspects of sales compensation. But I've tried to combine that you know, over the years with a lot of the, the behavioral economics stuff, right? Of how people make decisions, how people think. And I love that you're kind of, you're taking a similar approach of thinking of the, the psychology, you know, how people think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I love math is that uh, psychology aspect of it, right? Economics is exactly uh, what got me passionate and what got me started down this long road. (laughs) Well, Samantha, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really enjoyed our conversation and our time spent together. Hopefully for you as well. Yeah, no, this has been great. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. The Sales Compensation Show was brought to you by Forma AI, the world's most advanced sales compensation solution. To learn more about how Forma AI makes sales comp more valuable to your business, visit forma.ai. Find us by searching for sales compensation in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. On behalf of the team here at Forma AI, thank you for listening and stay smart out there.